0: Welcome to Behind the
1: Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is Bigfoot running wild in Pennsylvania? Why is he, she, or it sometimes seen in populated areas? What is Bigfoot anyway?
2: Hello and welcome to the 765th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WOON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM and uh, our eleventh year on the air as well I'm Ben, and those large sold questions came from my co-host partner in the Paranormal and father Paul and today we uh, bring you a well- respected researcher on a subject we only got you know heavily into uh you know about twelve years ago um, and we welcome your calls today. Numbers are four zero one seven six six one two four zero from anywhere and you can send uh, emails during and after the show as well Paul behind dot com for those. Interested in Bigfoot
1: since 1980, Eric Altman is the president of Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. He is also a wide-ranging researcher, broadcaster, and conference organizer with a a national reputation. Eric is highly respected among researchers, and since our research has taken us to Pennsylvania, too, we are getting to know him, and this will be our first chance to really compare notes and experiences. Eric's website, ericaltman.net, E-R-I-C-A-L-T-M-A-N.net.
2: So, Eric Altman, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Good morning,
0: gentlemen, or should I say good afternoon, and thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, so oh, much well. I love this time change. Idea. Yeah, honestly. Uh. <laughs> Anyway, don't get me going on that. Oh no, Ben's yeah. mom says I'm obsessed with it. Anyhow, we'll, we'll
2: we'll we'll avoid that. It just makes me think of the Phantom Toll Booth. Yes. Anyway, um, let's 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 get right right into into the nitty gritty here. Um, so we've been working in, in Clearfield County in uh, Pennsylvania, especially in the Dubois area, uh, off and on since 2016, really. And um, you know we call this kind of the heart of the Pennsylvania Triangle. So how does this area rank for Bigfoot sightings compared to other portions of the state?
0: Well, it's a very active area with uh, encounters, sightings, footprint discoveries, uh, strange sounds being heard. Um, I've been familiar with the the Clearfield County, Dubois area, Rockton mountain area for going on probably close to 20 years now. Um, I began investigating in that area in 1999 and was really surprised at how many sighting reports that come out of that area um, it, it's pretty well known in the state as, as one of the hot spots.
1: Yeah. Well, we've had three years' worth of neighborhood meetings there, uh, well, three three annual neighborhood meetings. And um, it, we've had, oh, the, the last one, we had 35 people show up, all of whom had had Bigfoot, Slash UFO experiences, for lack of better terms. And 33 of whom agreed to be interviewed on camera by, uh, filmmaker Alexander Petikoff and, uh, our, uh, all part of our gang. And, uh, Charles Credo, who is the, um, probably the best interviewer I've ever worked with except for George Knapp. And, uh, it was really, it's, we're putting together something on that. And I think, um I'll tell you right now, Eric, uh, I, I really liked what I heard when I heard you on Lon Strickler's show and, and, uh, I just think, you know, we should, Hook up on this, one of the things that um, you know we drive six hours from New England to do this, and and there there are some fine local researchers such as yourself and particularly Stan Gordon, whom we haven 't met yet but we 're in touch with um, but there's other other than you, than you two uh, we, we were we don 't seem to have been welcomed very well by by some of the local media, uh, particularly the the uh, radio stations which actually call themselves Bigfoot Country, although I did get right. a great sticker that i'm um, i don 't know if they It's political or what? I mean, to me, that shouldn't enter into any of this, but um, we we kind of go in because we we embrace all areas of the paranormal. There are people with shadow people, things going on, too. And I think you do, too. So I think it's time after three years for us to um, maybe hook up with some of the local folks, uh, you being number one, if you're willing. So I'll tell the world that right now, and uh, uh, we really like your approach. Anyhow. um, Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, Ben, uh, what's uh, your next question? Here? So
2: I guess, um, really, let's, let's move into kind of like cases and such, you know, taking it from the, the macro to the micro. Um, so what are the most interesting cases that you've run into in your, in your research?
1: Yeah, whether Clearfield County
2: or anywhere. Anywhere, really. Um, there's been so many over the years that I've looked into
0: and investigated, um, from roadside crossings to sightings um, in the forest while people are hunting my own personal experiences, I have not seen a Bigfoot, um, but I've had some very unusual experiences up on the Rockton Mountain, which is just um, to the, I believe it's to the south of uh, Dubois. Maybe yeah, it's so, the southeast. Yeah, yeah. But um, there's there's been a, quite a few over the years. Um, one, that, one particular one comes to mind, actually happened. Um, two, two sightings within a mile of each other occurred on uh, New Year's, morning i guess you'd say right after midnight on new year's eve um up on uh, 322 um we had um, new year's
1: eve of uh, this year
0: husband no this was in 2012
1: oh 2012 i'm sorry yeah
0: yeah. and uh there was a, a man and wife that were driving on 322 and um they had a creature run across the road in front of their vehicle um and it was far enough ahead that they weren't able to see it in their high beams clearly but they could definitely see the creature was upright on two legs They could see its legs moving, uh, moving pretty quickly, and it seems almost as if it glided across the road like it was on like snowshoes or or, um, uh, skis, like cross-country skis. It just glided so smoothly across the roadway. Now, normally that would be exciting to have just one sighting report, but a few hours later, a couple coming the opposite direction on 322 um, saw what they first thought was a garbage bag that was propped up against the guardrail, and they slowed down a little bit. They were kind of talking about, hey, look, somebody's throwing the trash out, and as they passed it, the garbage bag stood up on two legs, and it turned out it wasn't a garbage bag at all. It was a very large, hair-covered creature that turned, stepped over the guardrail, and dropped down an embankment out of sight. So that was pretty intriguing that we had um, two different sets of witnesses who didn't know each other, had a sighting within a mile of each other on the same evening, within just a few hours of each other. Yeah. So that was probably one of the more interesting cases that I, <clears throat> excuse me, looked into, simply because it's uh, it has a lot of cooperation between people that don't know each other, um, location, time. Um, it's very rare that you get a, one sighting in an area, let alone two. And these folks had um, there were two sightings there on 322 that night.
1: When people have had, in your experience, Eric, when people have had encounters rather than just sightings, how, what percentage would you say are positive in the sense of not terrifying? And what percentage would be terrifying? I'll give you an example in a minute from my own research.
0: Well, it depends on the situation, I guess, and, and the person who's encountered the creature or have heard something or found something they can't explain Usually um, they're more terrifying because it's simply something they don't understand, they didn't believe in, didn't expect. Uh, it catches them by surprise, and then once they realize what they saw, um, it's pretty much like a, a ton of bricks coming crashing down on them. You know, oh, my gosh, I did see this. It, it was real. What was it? And to, to me, hearing people talk about their encounters, they tend to be more terrifying than positive. Although some people have been more curious and, and not felt fear when they've seen a creature. They've been more um, kind of inquisitive, wondering what it was they saw, and they want answers. And a lot of those people who've had encounters or sightings become researchers themselves. They they want to find out for themselves what they saw, experienced, and how it affects other people. How you know how this creature lives, what it does, how it behaves. They want to know as much as they can about what they saw and, and try to understand it.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the reasons, and I told you about my experience in mm-hmm. September on September 16th, 2016, on a little hill uh, in Sabula, Pennsylvania, which is you know near Dubois in Clearfield County, and it was very positive. Uh, I've, I've mentioned it on the air a number of times. It's in our our last book and all this. Uh, but I was sitting there in the field and uh, looking for something entirely different because we had a, a lot of photographs of strange lights from the previous trip. And off to my right, I see a, a huge Creature on two legs. I, I remember the huge knees moving up and down as it came up through uh, the gra- tall grass of this field, maybe about 200 feet away. We measured it the next day to where the uh, path through the grass was, and uh, someone else uh, heard it and came up with a flashlight. So there were, it was corroborative evidence, of it, presumably, and uh, that sort of thing. Now, that, that to me was a very positive experience. Uh, I felt privileged, uh, very much at peace. Uh, but I prepare spiritually before I go into any wilderness area. Maybe that was the reason. Uh, maybe a, a hundred well a few hundred yards away on down on the road, a little girl the following year had a terrible bigfoot encounter at least it, it, it frightened her and there it was right there apparently it was broad daylight, and the little girl uh, has is getting older by the minute, but she hasn 't talked to us yet. Uh, She's been at uh, one of the neighborhood meetings and uh, crying. And maybe it's these two weird guys from New England with beards. I don't know. But uh, Mm. it's just um, we hope that she will tell us the story. But apparently uh, she's very nearby, had an experience, and was very frightening to her. So maybe it's what you bring to the experience, as you yourself have suggested in a way.
0: It's very possible. I, I, I guess maybe it's the creature can sense the attitude that you're giving off or read your body language or something to that effect. And it may be a situation where somebody's inquisitive about it and they want to know more and they have an interest in the subject and they see it and it could be a positive experience for them Mm -hmm. because that's what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And again, the people who don't believe in it, don't have uh, knowledge about it or really don't care and then they happen to have an encounter or sighting, it shakes them up because it's not what they've... Expected to see while they're out it's kind of it takes them by surprise and then their understanding and thoughts about nature as we know it scientifically change because they've experienced something they were taught doesn't exist
1: yes one of the, uh, the things that we're always you know harping about is labels okay whether it be you know talking about uh, other areas of the paranormal you know ghosts uh, quote unquote the poltergeist spirits UFOs yeah, we put labels on these things to make them understandable to our narrow paradigm, right? But in the case of Bigfoot, and I'm thinking, again, this is the only area of Pennsylvania that I've, other than for some ghost research that I've ever done some serious work in, been to, uh, and people are seeing things that that seem like orangutans, you know, drop out of trees. Uh They'll hear a, a, a a branch break behind them and then something lands on the ground and it's a, it, this doesn't seem like your standard Sasquatch kind of creature. Ha, first of all, have, have you encountered that? And secondly, what, what else do you think might be operating in the area besides the garden variety standard Sasquatch kind of creature? If any.
0: Well, I, like I said, I've never seen a creature, um, so I, I've never seen an orangutan drop out of a tree or...
1: or, or if that's, a, what, yes, that's the way they describe yes. it anyway
0: right what, what people some people are describing I haven't seen that. Um, I've heard the branches break I've heard the, the brush rustling and that could be any animal that's out there. Mm. Um, I can't say what it was but uh, I haven't seen anything to that extent and as far as um, as far as what this thing is um, it, it's really hard to put a label on it. Um, simply because people aren't describing the same thing, especially in the Clearfield area. um, They're experiencing a variety of different phenomena going on. Um, Some people have claimed they've been followed out of the woods hearing heavy footfalls, and then when they turn around to look, there's nothing there for them to see. The trees are open and spaced out far enough that they should be able to see something, and they don't.
1: That's happened to us.
0: yeah, people have claimed to have seen strange lights floating through the forest
1: That's in happened. areas I've where they've heard weird,
0: weird vocalizations or found footprints. I know personally I've experienced that on multiple occasions up in the Clearfield area, seeing these weird anomalous lights floating through the forest. Um, some people believe it's nothing more than a flesh-and-blood animal, uh, like you said, a common garden-variety Sasquatch that, that is running around up there, and that very well might be the case. Uh, it's, unfortunately, it's hard to put a label on it because there's so many people describing So many different aspects of their encounter that don't fit the standard mold, what we're used to when it comes to a Sasquatch. There's so many different elements that have been thrown in now, from the lights, the strange footfalls where you don't see anything, finding footprints that suddenly end when they shouldn't. Um, There's so many different things um, involved, and I can't really say what really is up there in the Dubois-Clearfield area because I've experienced more than just what I would call your garden-variety Sasquatch encounter.
2: So with that being said, I think it was it was last week we had Dave McCullough on the show, correct? Or was it the week before?
1: Uh, the week before.
2: It was the week before. We we had a panel of guests on Dave McCullough's a, a bigfoot researcher with the B F R O.
1: Yeah, I think they, I think yeah, Eric and Dave know each other.
2: Yeah, they probably know each other. It, it's a, it's have I've I've found that it's kind of a close knit community, and everyone kind of like you know researches with each other. Anyway, um, so he he sort of mentioned that there's kind of like three different camps of of you know how what people believe you know Sasquatch is. So you know, there's there's sort of the unknown ape, which is you know the flesh the flesh and blood um, kind of thing. You know, it's it's maybe it's a remnant of Gigantopithecus or something like that that just sort of happened to survive. You know, years and years of evolution, or it you know sort of lives among us underground, something like that, and like you know has an advanced society that's like completely separate from us. Um, then there's you know the the nature spirit, which is the, the next camp, which is sort of you know. Bigfoot as this myth- mythological creature that kind of is the keeper of the game, as it were, um, as it was ex- explained to me. Then there's you know the third camp, which is he's an alien, and you know it's that that's pretty much as far as far as it gets. You know every, everything else is basically you know in in one of those three camps. So which camp do you kind of find yourself in, or are you not in a camp at all?
0: Well, um, it, let me get back to your three camps if I could real quick, because there's a fourth camp that you're. Um, missing and uh, no disrespect to dave i know dave very well he's a good guy but there's an interdimensional camp that's also involved in it oh right people uh, have a feeling which is the camp dimensions and they can um transport if you will and there's even some scientists starting to look at the possibility of quantum physics being involved in bigfoot so there's quite a number of camps involved um with the bigfoot study and, and what they believe uh, my personal belief is that I don't know what Bigfoot is. Um, I don't fall into any one particular camp. When I first started this, I was dead set on following Grover Krantz's uh, idea that this was a gigantopithecus, um, a relic hominid of uh, an extinct, extinct large species of ape that lived in China and Asia. Mm-hmm. But over the years, talking with eyewitnesses, um, seeing some of this anecdotal evidence that's been presented, talking with other researchers, and now we're starting to understand the interdimensional. Um, the possibilities are supposedly twelve dimensions aside from ours. Um, having a UFO encounter myself in the Clearfield area years ago. I don't know what Bigfoot is because we don't. After sixty years of research, we don't have a, an answer to say this is what it is and this is what it isn't.
2: Well, plus sixty years in an academic sense really isn't a long time either. And within that time, there's been been a lot of you know developments, a lot of you know sort of. Oddly, you know, if not obscured, parallels between, like you said, where quantum physics is heading, and you know, kind of how how we as researchers in this field have kind of grown along with it. Um, like I said, an obscured parallel because it's not like it kind of was meant to happen. It just sort of happened because it just was. It made sense. It was. It was a logical conclusion to an illogical problem. Because the problem with paranormal research in general, in any area, is that it goes against the scientific method completely because the whole point of the scientific method is that it's repeatable and that we can find patterns. With this, it seems it's seemingly random. Although with each passing day, we're kind of drawing more and more conclusions that okay, well, this has something to do maybe with 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 gravity or maybe it has something to do with parallel worlds, which is starting to make more and more sense as time goes along. Which explains why it's it's so you know volatile and so impossible to find patterns with. So it's become more and more of this sort of growing... I guess the, the, the best term to use is sort of a paradigm shift in you know modern science, which is becoming less and less materialistic and sort of adopting a less dualistic point of view. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it's foolish to think that we know everything there is to know because everything changes. There's a lot we learn as, as more technolo- technology advances the more we learn about the world around us and, and possibly other worlds around us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think science is foolish to try to put a label on what any kind of form of paranormal is because we simply don't have the answers yet. And that's why we need to continue to research and try to understand the phenomenon. Unfortunately, as you said, it, a lot of what happens, especially in Bigfoot research, isn't repetitive. Um, sure, it leaves tracks. Sure, it makes sounds. Sure, people have sightings, and it's very similar in description and behavior, but we can't replic- replicate that. We can't study a Bigfoot in its own habitat and see if, in fact, that's what it does. Um, the other thing we can go by is what the eyewitnesses are telling us, and they have a one random time experience or maybe a, a handful of experiences, but it's not enough to gauge the behavior, you know, the, the diet, how this thing lives, what it does, where it goes otherwise we we'd have one in the zoo or we'd have a, a corpse to
2: study well plus you know there's also the 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 issue of cultural problems too you know like um uh finding bigfoot was uh, was yeah. it's you know it's it, i actually i learned a lot about it because when i first when i first started watching it I was like oh this is kind of ridiculous you know i i didn't put a lot of stock in it but um a good friend of ours alexander petakov you know he explained all the context of all the things they did to like you know an average everyday viewer it, it just it just seems dumb you know like um at a, i the way it's edited i mean i went to film school so I, I know i know the the way the editing techniques of reality tv shows and there's this um very very specific editing technique that's called a frankenbite um for sound editors in you know reality tv shows you can actually you can actually probably point it out pretty easily um if you if you're just listening which is essentially you know a sentence uh someone's in the middle of like you know talking or saying something and you can edit around their words and make it sound like they're saying something that they're not actually saying. But if the editor is like worth their salt, they can usually use like pitch shifting and change the timbre of like you know the voice or whatever to make it sound like a continuous sentence. But it, it's it's fairly easy to pick up once you kind of start noticing it. And um, I he pointed out like you know they'll they'll just they'll just cut things around to make these people just sound crazy. And you know, Matt Moneymaker comes on and says something. Oh yeah, big big feet use or big you know, Sasquatch uses uh, power lines as highways. And then they just leave it at that. They don't explain it. So I just automatically assumed, oh, that's stupid. That's insane. That makes no sense at all. But when it was explained in context, he was like, like you know, Alexander said, like you know, um, a lot of animals use use power lines as you know, the high tension wires and stuff as highways, quote unquote, because it's Long tracks of clear land, you can see for miles. He's like, so you, if you ever walk along those trails, you'll find like you know, deer droppings and and all sorts of tracks from various animals using that. He's like, so he's like, it makes a lot of sense like when you're explained in context, but there's no context that's given, so everyone's automatically lumped into this boat of oh well, they just you know, it's just pseudoscience, they they don't know anything. So I think that has has a lot to do with it as well, and. You know, a lot of a lot of the Bigfoot researchers I've met, you included, are you know very intelligent people. <laughs> like, like it's it's very you know it's, I don't think it's fair to you for um, you to get you know written off as insane because you know of, of cultural biases. You know what I mean?
0: I I do agree with you, and, and um, I, I'm very good friends with Cliff and Bobo Matt. Matter of fact, I, I started with the Bfro back in 1997. I was a researcher, and I'm a researcher for the BFRO once again. but um, I know these guys. I know they're not insane. I know editing is involved, and I know I also know that these shows are entertainment and they're for entertainment purposes. Yeah uh, let's face facts. If people saw what ghost researchers and investigators, uh, Bigfoot researchers, UFO researchers went through in the case of a normal investigation, it's quite boring. Mm -hmm. Um, an empty house looking, hoping that something happens and normally it doesn't Um, same with Bigfoot research I've been out in the woods uh, so many times I've lost count and I can tell you probably 90% of the time when I go out I see deer or I hear a bear maybe catch a glimpse of a bear see lots of raccoon um, possum, rabbits, squirrels hear birds and people don't want to see that on a show called Finding Bigfoot they want to see results and they're going to edit the show to entertain people and keep them interested and intrigued, whether it's dumbing down the subject matter or what they're doing. But you know, I, I agree completely where you're coming from because it does take away a lot of um, the hard work that, that researchers are doing. And it, it kind of puts us in a bad light, so to speak, because you know, people think we're just running around and they're knocking on trees and whooping and hollering. And we're not. There's a lot more involved in it. Uh, but it doesn't sell on TV, and, uh, people that watch it, the ratings would drop, and advertisers wouldn't be happy. So they gotta, they gotta put their own little spin and twist on shows like that.
1: Well, one of the things, too, uh, as you fellows were talking, I was thinking of one of the questions of, uh, where does Bigfoot go to and come from, particularly, oh, we have to take a break. Uh, but I'll, I'll pose the question, and then we'll, then we'll take our break. Uh, you know, in areas such as Clearfield County, Pennsylvania, where it's not wilderness, most of it, it's, it's farm country with you know, 10 or 20-acre woodlots. And uh, we'll get back to that after our break. Uh, we are Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley with our fascinating guest today, Erica Altman. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Frank Prisons, and I'm host of It's Your Business, Mondays at 2 p.m. We'll explore everything that's involved in business in this community. But you know what? Everything is about business. Tune in on Mondays here on ON Radio. Okay, let's get back to our business. That was a quick break. It's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Lovely fall day today, and it's not raining for once. And we're speaking with a fascinating guest from one of our favorite places in Pennsylvania, Eric Altman. And uh, let's get back to our questioning. And, and uh, I had posed the question before the break, uh, where does B- Bigfoot come and go f- to and from uh, on um, in areas such as uh, that area of Pennsylvania? It's an open farm country and, and woodlots, and everybody we talked to has pretty much had Bigfoot experiences and strange lights. Uh, Eric, perhaps, uh, could that uh, get into our multiversal idea that you and Ben were just talking about, that maybe they come and go from areas that are not necessarily in our reality
0: well it, it's a possibility I can't speak to saying that's a, a definite answer um, it is, it's possible uh, as I said earlier we don't know enough about these creatures to really make a determination where they, they come from, where they go, what they do how they behave You know, there's a lot of things that we still don't know for sure there's a lot of speculation and, and guessing when it comes to the creatures but um, there's a lot of certain things that we don't know for sure um, as far as where they go and where they come from, I've talked to so many people in that particular area that have had sightings on farmland property, have sightings. I had one uh, family that literally lived probably about a mile outside of downtown Dubois, and uh, her and her son lived on a farmhouse um, just on the, the edge of the, um, the forest there, and, and they were having encounters for, gosh, It was over the summer of 2004, I want to say from June through maybe the end of August, early September, they were having almost nightly encounters with something coming around their house, killing their cats, um, eating uh, fish from their freshwater pond they had on their property. Uh, They would hear it scream. They would hear it bang on the side of the house. We set up game cameras. Everything stopped. Um, It stayed away from the house until we took them down. Hmm. But that was right outside of, of town why would a creature come that close to civilization and, you know, risk being seen or exposing itself um, as easily as it could have, but yet stay just on the suburbs or uh, the, the edge of, of the city? Um, I have no idea why it did what it did or why it stayed as long as it did, and then the family moved out of the farmhouse and moved away, so we were never able to keep in touch with them once they left. But, um I don't know, to be honest with you. I, I would, I wish I knew, but we are seeing some patterns in the sighting reports that give us an idea of where they frequent or where the, the creatures are reportedly seen near or around. And, and outside of Dubois, probably I would say maybe 10 miles um, is that, that Rockton Mountain and that section of forest up there that runs up through Clearfield County mm-hmm. and up into Elk County. So there is viable um, wildlife areas up there for something like that to be running around. Maybe it just makes its way into farmlands for food and and, um, neighborhoods to to pillage garbage cans. I don't know. Well,
1: it could be. Uh, One of the things that that arises um, with us uh, in our research, too, and I'm I'm sure you've run into it as well, are the presence of these strange lights. Uh, On our first trip in May of 16, we got all kinds of pictures of lights in the sky and on the ground and all this stuff, and people... Everybody who's seen Bigfoot uh, in that at least the vicinity that we've been covering uh, has also reported uh, strange lights uh, very often near the ground we, and we have photographs of them. Uh, wh- what in your opinion, uh, but first of all, I'm sure you've run into the same thing. I mean, if, if you haven't, I'd be surprised, but if you could tell us about uh, examples of that you have run into and what you think could be an explanation for, for the proximity of Bigfoot with these strange lights.
0: Um, yeah, I, I've run into the strange lights in the forest and to be perfectly honest with you i have no idea what they are where they come from where they go but i've seen them on several occasions up there um, especially in the rockton mountains area Um, i've tried to do some research to see if there's been any native american tribes that have inhabited that area and there's there's some sparse tribes throughout the the region Um, but the particular area we go to i couldn't find any information if there was a, a a local tribe in that particular area so i can't say that those were native american spirits or or spirits of ancestors i I don't know but i I do know that i've seen the lights on probably three or four different occasions up there and i've had other people who've been with me who too have experienced the lights in the forest and we don't have an explanation for them Uh, i'll give you one example that was probably mind-blowing for me um we were on and um i believe it was uh ben that mentioned this um the, the the gas well lines or the the power lines they use for travel routes. Um, we were on a, a gas well line one, late one night, uh, myself and a group of researchers, and we had parked the cars about 300 yards down at the end of the gas well line from us, or, uh, which is a pull-off of one of the dirt mountain roads, and we had parked there. And while we were on this, this gas well line, we had set up chairs and we were doing listening experiences with parabolic microphones, and, and trying to do some animal calls to elicit a response. A response, And uh, down at the end of the car, we began to see this orange light that looked like someone smoking a cigarette. If you would inhale on a cigarette, that the end of the cigarette would light up orange. And we were seeing this, and it was moving around, so we assumed that there was someone down by the vehicles that was walking around that shouldn't have been there because all our party was accounted for. So myself and another researcher, uh, his name is David, and we we talked about, we were both seeing it, and we talked about walking down to the cars to see for ourselves what exactly was moving around the car or who was moving around the car, because at that point we didn't suspect it was uh, creature-related or paranormal-related, we just thought there was somebody prowling around the cars or maybe trying to break into the cars. So we began this walk from where we had set up down to the vehicles, and and as we got closer and closer we could still see the light, and it appeared that it was actually above the vehicles moving around. And we probably got within maybe 75, 80 feet of the light, and I hit my high-powered flashlight where I thought the light was last I saw it. We didn't see anything. It wasn't there anymore. So we got to the cars. We walked around the cars. We checked under the cars. We looked around everywhere. There was no one there at the vehicles. The light was gone. There was nobody there. And as we were talking, David's cell phone rang, and it was his wife checking on him. He answered, and he was talking to her and I was looking around with the flashlight and not paying attention to David, and all of a sudden I catch this really strong smell of, the best way to describe it is if someone took horse manure and cow manure and just shoved them up into your nostrils. <laughs> it was that potent and that strong. It was over, I was gagging from it. And I looked over at David and I said, Dave, Dave, do you smell that? And he's busy talking to his wife, and he stops for a second and takes a big whiff, and he's like, oh, what is that? And I'm like, I don't know, but it just suddenly, It's here. It it pretty much came out of nowhere. And as we're standing there talking, we're looking at each other, and we're still smelling this, and all of a sudden we hear these crunching of leaves as if something big is walking away from us into the trees, and as the sound got further and further distant from us, the smell evaporated and went away. Never saw the light again. Never heard the, the crunching of the leaves after that. Never smelled any strange smells, but we know what we saw. We know what we experienced, and we have no explanation for why that light appeared what was what was it coming from um where it went to we have no answers and that's just one of maybe three or four different experiences that we had on that power line um the gas well line up in uh, rockton mountain um over the course of probably about five or six years from about 2010 through about 2014
1: 2015 okay one one of the suggestions we make is that it is to consider the possibility that these lights, uh, at least some of them, could be living things. As even Carl Sagan uh, speculated about, you know, plasma-based life forms. Uh, perhaps they they feed, and we've seen evidence for this in ghost cases. Right, feed around the boundaries or the membranes of these parallel realities with different laws of physics, and they're just living things, like. Everything else, and uh, that 's just one possibility we consider um, the whole idea of spirits to us is a little bit problematic because it 's not really possible under our laws of physics. However, who knows I mean you know um, so th- these are these are all just possibilities. Uh, Eric, let me ask you this: Have you in any of your experiences and you 've been at this for many years, have you ever run into the military or something that looks like the military in any of your investigations?
0: I personally have not. However, we had a very interesting experience, and it leads back to that gas flow line I was talking about. Um, The group that I was – I'm no longer with the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, but when I was with them at that time, we had multiple researchers in that area of forest um, up on Rockton Mountain, and um, they were patrolling the woods, driving back roads and whatnot, and, and we had just wrapped up our afternoon hike and we were going to head back to one of the local restaurants to get something to eat. And I decided to take a different um, back mountain road out to the main highway, and they took a a separate one than I did. And they claim, um, as they were leaving, they ran into a caravan of very large military vehicles that were driving on those back mountain roads up there. Um, I had gone past the road that they turned on. I saw nothing. I, I didn't see any vehicles. I didn't experience anything. But about ten minutes after I left, they left, and they claimed they ran into a caravan of military vehicles. And I've also talked to other researchers over the years who have had the same experiences, but not in the Clearfield area. Um, down in Fayette County in southwestern Pennsylvania, they've run into that, where they've been in a parking area of uh, a state forest to, to hike the trails, and they've had military vehicles pull in. And how they knew they were military vehicles, they had um government plates on them, and people were dressed in uh, military fatigues that got out and went into the forest. So um, I know several people that have had run-ins with the military or military vehicles. I have not myself, but uh, the people I've talked to are, are very credible and reliable witnesses.
1: Yeah. Well, because you know there, there could be other explanations for this. I mean, National Guard activities, if it's on a weekend, uh, that sort of thing. However, our sure. suspicion is that, uh, you know, wouldn't we love to discover where... Yeah. You know, again, well, in the example of Bigfoot, where it goes and comes from, and and perhaps take these processes and weaponize them. I mean, I think that's that might be a goal. Uh, or simply um, another possibility is a commercial exploitation. I mean, a lot of money can be made uh, from uh, militarizing the, these processes. Uh, you know, perhaps that's another thought. I don't know. But we we, we look for the military, and in in the, the Connecticut. Triangle, as we call it, or the Litchfield Triangle that we've been working on for a lot longer than we have in the Pennsylvania one, uh, since '05, uh, there, there were ground troop movements and air and air ops in 2009 and 2010, and they didn't care who knew it, uh, and it was centered around a farm and all this sort of thing. But so, in in the case of Clearfield County in Pennsylvania, we have uh, we're kind of running down some clues on on where some uh, some activity may be centered, and a lot of the people have reported you know, the ubiquitous black helicopters and, and the C-130s flying over and e- even jet fighters flying over at the uh, treetop level and the C-130s mm-hmm. dropping material that uh, some of the people have saved uh, and this sort of thing. So, I mean, th- these are all things that we're running down and um, hopefully, you know, you can help us do it <laughs> at some point. Um, so th- th- these are just uh, some thoughts on that. Um, what uh, exactly is the state, of Bigfoot research in general today, would you say? Is it being taken seriously? Is it getting anywhere? How would you, uh, how would you tell us about that?
0: Um, <laughs> I'm probably the wrong person to ask for this because <laughs> I don't look favorably along the research community like I used to. Things have changed so much and there's so many people involved with it now and there's unfortunately there's a lot of people putting out a lot of bad information on the, uh, the the Internet, on YouTube, on Facebook, um, there's a lot of really bad videos, photographs being put out there, uh, people that are claiming they're researchers that are trying to inform and educate the public with information that just is garbage. Um, and that's happening more and more frequently as social media continues to expand and grow and people get more and more involved. Um There's a lot of drama and a lot of fighting going on internally in the Bigfoot community, which unfortunately a lot of it's aired publicly, and that also gives us a black eye. Um, There are some very aspiring and some excellent researchers that are still either in the field or getting into the field that I encourage to keep doing what they're doing because we do need objective, honest, and thorough researchers and investigators to continue to study and put out good, solid information and not made-up information or what they want it to be. Um, So I I don't look as favorably on the field as I used to. I used to be very, very thoroughly involved in the the field. Now I'm more of an independent and kind of do things my own way uh, and and by myself. But um, like I said, I'm probably not the best guy to ask for it because, I've seen a lot of the negative come out in the last few years uh, with a lot of really bad information. I'm just hoping those who have been involved in this for a long time or even some of the new folks that are getting involved in doing good work will continue to do it because we need to to really get good, solid information out there to the public that is legit and not based on somebody's personal feelings or somebody's personal beliefs.
1: Yeah, well, if you think Bigfoot people are bad, try ghost hunters as far as that's concerned. Uh, now, the, wh- one other suggestion you might want to consider, uh, Eric, is, is something we've looked at, and uh, it's the, the Bouguer anomaly, which is, and again, this is a long shot, but I think you know, we have to be open-minded to consider anything. Um, that is, uh, as you may know, most people haven't heard of it, but it's, a, it's known to geologists and uh, people who uh, look for oil and gas deposits, and that area, as, as you know, also has a very large gas field. Uh, which we have explored and find it very interesting uh, from a number of points of view um, up near Treasure Lake in, the, in that area. Uh, w- we think that uh, it's possible that um, these uh, areas are um, very – actually, uh, ge- geologically, uh, this is a well-known – one of the strongest Bouger Anomaly – Examples in Pennsylvania is, is is right down there along the uh, the eastern continental divide as it's called, and the geologically interesting area that runs right through the area we've been researching in Sabula, and what the Bouger anomaly is for those who might not know is it's it's a, an, a gravitational anomaly. And you would think that the closer you get to the center of the earth, for example, when you walk down a hill toward a river valley, that gravity would get stronger. Actually, when the Bouger anomaly is present because of minerals, and it's not entirely understood, but there are minerals and uh, various uh, kinds of uh, elements involved, the the gravity gets lighter, Uh, you know, and you can't really feel it. You don't like lose weight or anything. But you go downhill, and the gravity—it's uh, measurable—that it does tend to get lighter, and uh, also there are there are increased examples of gases such as radon, and we find that people in areas such as this uh, sometimes will develop over a long period of time an immunity to the carcinogenic effects of things like radon gas, simply because they've lived with it in small doses for so long. That sort of thing. So there are strange areas, uh, and th- this area known as the Rome Trough runs from about that area in Clearfield County all the way down through Pittsburgh, all the way down through the Ohio Valley, all the way down to Kentucky. And you can pinpoint areas, area after area, where things like the Mothman events occurred. And it maybe it's a coincidence, maybe not. But gravita- gravity does what? According to Einstein, gravity affects space and time. Even in small, you know, even in small small variations can affect space and time. So th- that that's a real long shot. But you know, if the ducks line up, maybe that's one of the reasons for such bigfoot activity, among other things, in that area. Just something to think about. I don't know. So yeah, I uh,
0: I've, I've come into something similar, experiencing that over the years, investigating cases, and even Stan Gordon and I, we work closely together. We've discussed it and we've noticed the anomalies almost in pretty much every case that we've investigated is we're finding um, not necessarily gravitational uh, effects coming into play, but uh, power sources, whether they be cell phone towers, Hmm. electrical towers, um, electrical lines, gas well lines, electric um, power lines, um, that sort of thing. We've noticed quite a bit that when someone has a sighting, if we do a little bit of research around the area, it's not far from... One of the towers or one of the gas lines, yeah. or yep.
1: one
0: of the the, um, the uh, our natural resources, whether it be electric, water, um, power, gas. It, it's something to do with the natural resources, what we're finding. And, I, and again, like you said, it might be just coincidence, but we're noticing it more and more in cases that we investigate together.
1: Fascinating. As far as the – I didn't want to leave before going over the, the smell issue <laughs> – uh, you know, you've con- and you reported strange smells at, at that one encounter, uh, and also mm-hmm. everybody talks about you know the skunk ape and all that. And, uh, in the. Now, in the two possible Bigfoot encounters I've had, I I didn't notice any smell, and I'm wondering. One was in New Mexico in 1967, so I mean heaven only knows. There, one wonders if this is not some sort of defense mechanism uh, that, as such as a skunk would use, and that the, these creatures, whatever they may be, uh, may when they feel threatened or n- nervous, will release this smell. And th- in other words, they don't always smell terrible. Uh, and mm-hmm. that seems to be. In there. I mean, well, what, what say you on that?
0: Yeah, I, the major, surprising in the majority of cases I've investigated, uh, and there are in the hundreds, um, very few report a smell or an odor involved Hmm. and and i'm if i would have to guess i would have to guess that maybe it is some kind of defense mechanism where if the creature feels threatened it puts off a pheromone or some kind of odor from a gland that uh maybe tries to repulse us you know to make us so sick that we want to leave or you know like a defense mechanism so to speak um and again it could be that these are hair covered creatures that are in the wild constantly and they just they have a weird animal smell that, you know, we're not used to smelling. I know bears have a certain smell they, they give off sometimes, and and deer can when they get wet. So maybe that's the case where it just has an animal smell that we're not familiar with. I don't know. But the cases where people do report the animal smells involved are, are not as common as people may think.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, before we burn up the rest of the hour here, uh, Eric, tell us about uh, your website or anything else you'd like to promote, uh, what you're doing, and uh, where people can find out more about you.
0: Yeah, my website's ericaltman.net, and uh, I put out information on there. Uh, I try to keep it updated as best I can. Uh, I'm running a group in Pennsylvania now. I'm no longer with the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. Um, I've actually formed a, a new smaller group that I only have a handful of members of. It's called the Pennsylvania Cryptozoology Society, hmm. where uh, we study all kinds of cryptids, not just related to Bigfoot, um, because we get so many reports of different creatures throughout the state, uh, thunderbirds, upright canids, or the dogman, as they're, they're commonly called. Sure. Um, we have a couple of lakes in, in Pennsylvania, Erie, and Rays Town that have supposedly had some kind of lake monster in them, or seen. Um, so we, we try to look into different types of cryptids if we get the reports. And I work very closely with Stan Gordon, so he, he gets a lot of, frequently gets a lot of uh, strange anomalous animal creature sightings from around the state. So um, that's what I'm doing now. Uh, I have an event coming up at uh, in 2019, May 31st, June 1st, and 2nd, called the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Camping Adventure. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a charity fundraiser for three local charities. But what we're trying to do is invite families who are enthusiasts or just a common researcher, anybody that has never investigated Bigfoot cases or has an interest in it that wants to see how it's done correctly by experienced researchers and those in the field who are doing things right, Uh, We put the event together to give them the chance to come out and hear lectures from those researchers, to actually go on hikes with us um, on the evenings of the event to to get that experience, what it's like to go out and do a a Bigfoot hike um, looking for evidence. And we have workshops and food vendors. We have Bigfoot and paranormal vendors on hand. And it's a chance for folks to come out and um, experience what it's like to, to be a Bigfoot researcher, to learn about the subject. Um, learn from the right people, and again, as I said, it's a charity fundraiser, so it's kind of a win-win for everybody.
2: Great. So, Eric, here's a, here's a question I've I've been kind of pondering for a while now. Do you find that? Well, uh, well, first let me preface it by saying I've noticed over the last you know decade or so that spiritualism has kind of crept its way into um, pretty much every other spectrum of of the um, well. Researching anything outside the normal let's just put it that way um, I've noticed slightly ever ever so slightly that you know spiritualism has kind of been creeping its way into bigfoot research um you know it, most most people have heard i've I've noticed that pretty most bigfoot researchers are pretty pretty solid to the ground people but you know occasionally you'll have someone come up to you that's like that that'll that'll like make it weird and and spiritual talk about all, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, that, you know, kind of undermines everything else. Have you noticed that recently?
0: Um, yeah, I, I've noticed uh, s- some of it creeping in, like you said, um, becoming a little more prevalent than it used to be. And I think it's, it's the folks that people haven't gotten scientific answers for this study. So they have open minds and they're reaching out to different possibilities. Um, and spiritualism to them might be one explanation for what the creature is and what it does, where it goes. So I've seen that a little bit more than I have in the past, along with, as I said, the interdimensional aspect of the UFO-alien aspect. I see a lot more aspects being introduced into the Bigfoot phenomenon, uh, and I think it's people that aren't satisfied with not having answers um, to the, the mystery, so they're looking at other possibilities.
2: Mm-hmm. Seems legit. I guess so. Well, I've noticed that most most of modern thinkers, or well, Western modern thinkers, have a problem with with mystery. They they have a problem with mysticism. Um, as much as people like to say, "Oh, it's so mysterious," and and it's it's you know it's just a part of existence. It's it frustrates people, especially in this culture, because we live in a world where you can Google something and get an answer instantly. Um, you know, like what happened on this day, like 100 years ago, you could Google it and find out. Or um, uh, how much, or you know, if you're if one train's going from Chicago to uh, New York and another one is going from New York to Florida, like you know, how fast are they going? You can Google it and find out. Um, even right. then, and like most of our f- philosophical foundations and how we think and how we you know sort of exist in in um, the modern world, it's it's based on the idea of having answers for everything. So people are uncomfortable when they can't find answers to things, I I believe. I believe that's probably one of the issues. So even, you know, as, like, what is it, Occam's Razor, sometimes, actually no, uh, I think I'm thinking of of, of, uh, Sherlock Holmes where sometimes the craziest explanation is often correct but I think that's kind right. of taken out of context yeah. in this regard. Yeah, well, the simplest explanation. Simple. What, yeah. Well, no, there was, there was some, I'm, I'm trying to remember where, where I heard it. It was like sometimes the craziest thing yeah, makes the sometimes. most sense. sure. But, I mean, I think even crazy is crazy. All right, well, very good. <laughs>
1: well, on that crazy note, uh, we had a wonderful, sane, foot-on-the-ground conversation. <laughs> Eric, thank you so much. Indeed. And uh, we will be in touch with you off the air and look forward to hopefully uh, meeting soon and uh, maybe working with you. That'll be great. Well,
0: thank you, guys. It was a real pleasure talking to both of you, and uh, a great conversation, and I look forward to hearing back from you and working with you guys in the future.
1: Very of good. Of course. Okay. All right, folks, uh, Eric Altman. So let's get on to our announcements here. Um The end of uh, 2018 is drawing near, as we all know, and our first event of 2019, at least so far, will be an encore at the Town of Prospect Senior Center in Connecticut on April 23rd. We'll keep you posted as details develop, but we'll be open to the public. This is a magnificent facility, just beautiful. And uh, I couldn't believe uh, the people who go there are just wonderful, active seniors. And and we had, uh, what, 65? Oh, that's right, you couldn't make it that time. I could not make it that time. 65 People who were there. It was just really really great uh, active uh, venue, and we're looking forward to going back. Uh, my next book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, and Parallel Worlds, has gone to the publisher, as we've said, and I'm told it uh, will be re- released perhaps a little bit sooner than they had expected, maybe next summer, next fall. We'll keep you posted on that uh, by Schiffer Books. And um, there you have it. So, Ben? So,
2: our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is available on ebook on Amazon, Kindle, and Apple iTunes, and available in stores as well. Uh, You can get all of our books uh, in print as well, but uh, you can order them from our site, uh, either of them, which is BehindTheParanormal.com or NewEnglandGhosts.com, and we'll be happy to autograph them for you as well.
1: And that includes Behind the Paranormal 2, the second in our series, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, uh, published last year, and currently available from online retailers and, as Ben said, from BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find uh, the charities we have adopted. Please uh, help with those if you can. A couple of veterans' charities, also Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, uh, Helping Hades Orphans, and Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, all of whom uh, we know these people, and we know that the money goes where it should.
2: So and also don't forget about our uh our many, many recorded shows that we have on, oh yeah. on our website, over almost eight hundred oh, now. Over eight hundred. Over eight hundred now. Yeah. Geez, yeah, yeah that's behind the dot com for those. Uh, don't forget about our Facebook page, uh, so you can keep up with all of our events and our caricatures as well, uh, the, which is which is our our current uh, page yeah. picture. So next week, which is November 11th here on WOON and 99.3 FM, uh, we'll talk with investigator Steve Asher uh, about what for us is a new case, the Kentucky Triangle.
1: And we leave you this afternoon with a thought from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.: Love is the only force capable of transforming an
2: enemy into a friend and I'm Paul Eno and I'm Ben Eno and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey and we shall see you Behind the Paranormal
0: Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno